I was thrilled to discover that despite over a decade as a private practitioner, with the majority of those years spent in what I often refer to as the therapy mecca that is Berlin, there are still therapeutic approaches that I've never heard of. One such modality is guided imagery and music. When counselor Sadie Smith informed me that this unique form of therapy is a part of their practice, and that they were willing to discuss it with me, I deliberately refrained from any pre-research. I wanted to approach our conversation with the curiosity of a shepherd dog, eager to uncover the intricacies of this approach. So, without further ado, here's our conversation about guided imagery and music, expertly explained by Canadian counselor Sadie Smith. I was really excited when you wrote me because probably like most people, I had never heard about guided music imagery either. But I guess you're pretty used to that. Or yeah. Um, so when I talk about it, most people are like, oh, like, what is this? Because the full title is quite a mouthful. It's called The Bonnie Method of Guided Imagery and Music. So a lady named Helen Bonnie, she's the one who really kind of created it and founded this methodology beginning in like the 1970s or so. Wow, so long ago, actually. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from some of the psychedelic research that was happening at the time, actually. So it's kind of connected to that world as well. And Helen Bonnie was a music therapist. And so she started seeing these connections of if we work with the subconscious through altered states. So in that time, they were experimenting with like using LSD and mapping out like LSD journeys and then pairing music that matched the same intensity of these LSD journeys in these clinical trials. And today we use guided meditation and guided relaxation to create that yeah. altered state because they found that it really works very similarly to using psychedelics. And even now when people train to be a psychedelic therapist, it's often training as working with these altered states rather than actually the substances. I would have been even more in awe hadn't I recently been to the Insight Conference in Berlin and Actually, I experienced an altered state through music and, and light. So I, I was placed in a chair voluntarily and blindfolded. And I forget what he called it, but it was it was very trippy and very effective. Yeah. Yeah. I was also at that conference too. Um oh. and know the know the <laughs> chair that you're talking about. Yeah. So in this case, this this method was created through the music therapy world and is a form of psychotherapy that even if you have a music therapy degree, you still do like the kind of like five-year psychotherapy path to become a guided imagery and music therapist as well. So it's a long journey. It is a long journey, but... The road journey. Yeah. But it's a really beautiful journey because as part of the journey, as with other psychotherapies, you have to take so many sessions of your own therapy to really experience it and in training in the modality it's also very experiential so yeah. you're learning the theory but then you're also experiencing at the same time so you can really feel how it impacts somebody by having yeah. your own experiences with it and how did you get into it how did you stumble upon the modality my original undergraduate degree was actually as a music therapy major And then I, I had an injury and I could no longer stay 
in the program as a full-time music therapy student because you are trained as a professional musician and a therapist at the same time. Uh, and where did you do this program? Uh, in Canada. Yeah. yeah. And so I couldn't stay in the program as a full-time student because I couldn't do the music lessons anymore because of the extension of my injury. But I could stay in the theory courses for the music therapy. So I have all the theoretical courses that a music therapist would take for their undergraduate degree, minus like the placement, basically. Um, and it was through those courses that I was exposed to guided imagery and music. And so now it's just like many years later, kind of coming back to it in like a full circle. And yeah, so I've been studying GIM now for about two years and still have the third level yeah. to, to go. But even with like the second level, you're still able to work with people already in yeah. like graduated yeah. steps, basically. Yeah. So the way that I work with people is really on supporting inner resources and kind of facilitating and supporting um, connecting with inner resources. So maybe it's like things like developing self-esteem or developing a sense of like safety and security. And I can do that with individuals and I can do that with groups and I can do that with like um, one piece of music or up to 20 minutes of music while people are in this altered state. And in some cases, depending on the needs of the individual doing some guiding, and this is what makes, I think, GIM more unique, is you can guide the person while they're in the altered state. So by asking them questions related to the experience that they're having. So like, where are you? What are you experiencing? How does it feel? Like what color, what smells, and helping connect it to the senses to deepen mm -hmm. the experience of the music and the imagery. Right. Okay. And do many of your clients approach you or, or reach out to you for a first session, not aware of, of this particular modality, just seeking a, a therapist and, and seeing a good potential fit in, in you with your specific background? And then this becomes, yeah, a journey that you take them on? Yeah. So I... Usually when people first meet me, it's like they've, they've found me and they're like, oh, I think this person could be like a good fit. And then when I'm doing the initial session with them, like the discovery call, I explain this modality. And most of the time I explain it by kind of mapping out what a session of it looks like because their sessions look different. So in a, in a guided imagery and music session, we do an initial check-in. So it's just kind of like, how are you? Like what's going on for you today or what's what's sitting with you more um, presently. And then through that conversation, we'll find a focus. And the focus will be the bit that we want to take into the music. And with the focus, we'll decide on what kind of image can you call to mind. So if we take the self-esteem one, it might be they call to an image to their mind. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's created of a time when they felt really proud of themselves or they had achieved something they had really worked on. And we discuss what that image like looks like. And then they get comfy and I choose music based off of the, the libraries that have been created that I think fits the focus. And then I lead them through the guided relaxation, meditation to create the altered state. And then I play the music. And 
Sometimes I won't talk to them. Sometimes I will, depending on their needs. And they'll have the musical experience of one piece of music to 20 minutes of music. And then I guide them out of the altered state. And then we do a mandala, a drawing of what was most prevalent for them in that experience. And that just gives the subconscious another way of speaking. And then once the mandala is done, we verbally process the whole experience. So, I mean, this sounds like it could also amount to a longer session than the classic 45, 50 minute. Yeah. But so right now I can only work with upwards of 20 minutes of music. And the aim of a short guided imagery and music experience is actually to have it fit within like the counseling hour, the therapeutic hour. The next level that I'll, I'll go into, which is level three, and um, once I'm finished that, we can work with up to 50 minutes of music. And those sessions are then like two hours or so that you block out for those because they are much deeper. And and I'm really curious about the choosing of music and whether it's across many different or all different genres or if there are particular genres of music and so a lot of the music because it has come from kind of like the traditional way of being a music therapist which is like classically trained person a lot of the music comes from the western kind of classical notion of classical music but as the profession has grown and adapted there's more things coming out of like neoclassical folk music um and also really taking into the preferences of the person that we're working with and trying to make sure that the music that we're using is like maybe culturally appropriate for them or maybe yes. taking into their their preference what they like and sometimes even using the music that they like and that they prefer. But generally we try to use music that um, doesn't have lyrics or if it does, yeah. has lyrics in a different language than the person speaks because we can ascribe so much meaning from the words that are there. And we try to avoid music that may already have that kind of ascribed to music to give freedom to the experience. And we have like a scientific way of choosing the music also. It's called the taxonomy of music. And in the taxonomy of music, we have nine kind of categories of how challenging the music is. And to decide this, we take into impact like the the harmony, the melody, the rhythm, the tempo, the kind of like color or feeling of the music, how many instruments are in the music and how much tension is created through dynamics or through harmony. And using all of these different pieces of like music analysis to decide how how strong a piece of music is or what kind of impact that music can have and then listening to the music in normal states of consciousness as well as in altered states of consciousness to decide if this music can really support imagery if the music is appropriate for whatever kind of reasons and through the development of the profession there are hundreds of programs of music that people have put together. And a program of music is like maybe three to like five pieces of music or even more, depending on how many hours of music someone needs. 
when we think of the psychedelic research, there's a program called the Copenhagen program that's relatively recent that has been designed specifically for the psilocybin trials. So that's like eight hours of music that has been put together um, to match the different peaks and valleys of those kind of trials. So what drew you to specialize in GIM? Yeah, it became began a few years ago when I was like, I really want to kind of go down the, the therapy, the psychotherapy road. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I remember learning about GIM in my in, in my undergraduate. And I just began looking for options to, to study it. And and then I found it and then I just I went with it. And it's just I have always believed that music can be an incredible tool for for healing and for transformation. I grew up as a, a kid in rural Canada and music was kind of my outlet. And I think without that, I wouldn't be the person that I am. So I, I very much learned that at a young age, that music is so powerful. Always kind of lived with me since starting to learn about that there is this profession in music therapy and, and having experiences studying it, that it was just like, I wanna I wanna come back to this. And and for me, music is just a thread that permeates most aspects of my life. So it just it just kind of made sense, and it just fits, and I I really love it. And what have been some of the most profound or transformative experience you witnessed in in your clients through GIM? When I finished my first level, I could use like an adaptation called music and imagery. And with that, we just use one piece of music and no guiding. And it's just a very supportive resource. And so I started telling my clients, I'm like, oh, I, I can do this thing now. Do you want to try? I think it's really cool. And about half of them, like, pretty much switched to, can we just do music? Or can we do like a music session and then do like a talk session and then do a music session? Um, because they just found it as a... It's a gentler way to, to work with the subconscious because it, it opens us up and then the music does what the music does as the second therapist and it evokes feelings and emotions in a way that talking can't reach. And that's just because of the way that our part of it is the way that our brains are wired. Music can get parts of our brain talking to each other that don't normally talk to each other. And so for a lot of these people who decided to, they wanted to do more of the music sessions, it just became an easier way of processing and facilitating connections to their emotions and the underlying kind of deeper topics, because the subconscious would then allow some of those topics to come up that we might kind of close ourselves off to when we're in a normal state of consciousness. And once someone experiences a music and imagery session, with me then I just tell them like when you come to a session you can say hey I want to do music today or I want to talk today and we can kind of move between them really easily like that and some of the clients they're just like can we do that music magic thing <laughs> can you elaborate a bit more on what you mean by the second therapist like music being the second therapist um in our sessions the way that it's considered the second therapist is that um, 
particularly when there's no guiding. All they have is the music. And so the music choice is super important because I want that music to support the focus. So if, again, if it's something like self-esteem, it I wouldn't pick a piece of music that is like sad and melancholy. I'll pick something that has a bit more movement and a bit more flow to it to help kind of facilitate that moving through the person. And it would probably be in more of a major key rather than a minor key. Whereas someone who wants to connect more with the feeling of maybe feeling sad because they were told they couldn't feel sad, that that wasn't an emotion for them. Having music that might be a little bit darker, a little bit more somber, a little bit more slow, helps them maybe connect to those feelings that they've been told they can't have. And so in that way, it acts as kind of the second therapist. And then in the guiding sections, when it's longer portions of music, part of it is knowing when for me to take a step back and let the music where it's maybe having more harmonic tension or having more dynamic tension do its thing and knowing to give it its space for it to have its kind of power in those moments. And then kind of to step back in when those the stronger moments of the music are over to help then facilitate the guiding and connecting to that, what was going on for them through those moments. Right. And would you say that there are specific specific types of clients or mental health challenges for for which GIM is particularly suited? Or or like are are there some clients that just don't yeah have any benefit from from this type of modality like i heard once that freud for instance is known to to despise all music which is so absolutely like music is just a fundamental part of being a human we've we've used music since we were like in the early years of evolution, really. Um, and it's so much a part of our beings. And I think that some people catch on, like some people feel it quicker than others. So I've definitely worked with folks who they've tried one session and been like, I don't really get it. Maybe it's not for me. And then I try it with someone else and they're like, oh, this just makes so much sense. And at the level that I am currently trained, it's very much working with people who are more mentally well, um, so that it's building resources and not really going into something so super challenging yet, just based off my skill level. But when you've finished level three, it's you're able to work with trauma, you're able to work with some mental health diagnoses. The main kind of piece is that this method works better with people who can really differentiate imagination from reality so that there there isn't so strong of like a disassociation between what is real and what is not because we don't want people to kind of get lost in this world of imagination when they can't differentiate the two and there's different like ways so people who might be more prone to disassociation instead of having the eyes closed you can do eyes open Or you can do things like music and drawing or music and movement with eyes open to help keep them still here and the here and now in a sense, but also 
still interacting with music on some level. Yeah. But does it ever happen? I don't know, perhaps because someone is particularly inhibited on that day or in that phase of their life that that it doesn't bring them anything or doesn't trigger an altered state or or a state of consciousness that is useful to them. I'm sure that that can happen, but I think that's also where some of the responsibility of the GIM therapist lies is knowing kind of like what space the person is in and if going into an altered state if having a musical experience in that way would actually be beneficial yeah and I've definitely seen that with people that I work with they've come into a session and been like I want to do music today and then we do a bit of the like kind of prelude and and kind of checking in and then with what they're telling me I'm like maybe it's not a good idea to do this today because of these things that you're bringing up. Maybe it's more important that we have a a space to talk about that. And then the next time we have a session, like let's say, let's set the intention that we'll do music then and see how you're doing. So I think that it's really at the responsibility of the the GIM therapist or trainee to really know when to use it and when to not. Yeah. Can you also speak a bit about the mandala Because, yeah, that also seems to be an integral step of of the process. And w- would it then be also um, a specific mandala that you've chosen for the process, or would would any would any mandala do the trick? So when we talk about a mandala, we At the before they go into the altered state, we literally draw a circle on a page. And the idea is that the circle helps provide a starting point for people to draw. So it can be the the aim of the mandala is really to give an open space for the subconscious to speak. People don't have to stay within the circle, but like helping to focus where things go is really helpful for a lot of people rather than just a big empty page. And there's no right or wrong. It's not necessarily meant to be a piece of art. It's really just meant to be a way for the subconscious to speak. And then there's also science behind mandalas, depending on like where things are placed. If something is more central in the center, um, that might be like the focal point or something that is more important. But really, it's just allowing the subconscious another way to talk. And then we discuss like, What stands out for you? What do you feel like is important in this mandala? How does it connect to the musical experience that you've had? And the title is often usually pretty important. And generally, like, whatever is the first thing that comes to mind, like, don't don't think too hard about it. Just whatever is first there to, to use yeah. as the title. And then we can explore, like, what does this title mean? A lot more information from from the mandala than maybe just even talking about the experience because it's just another way of sharing what happened without always using words. The the gist I'm getting is also that this works really well to create attunement to our emotions. Like such a big part of therapy is dealing with people's disconnection, you know, that they haven't checked in with themselves in ages Um, and 
how how radical a question like what are you feeling right now can be to many people but that this you know provides a really useful framework to like start registering yeah absolutely and for some people the imagery might not be so visual it might be that they really feel things in their body yeah and then if people are feeling really feeling things in your in their body it's like oh and maybe i have like a block in my throat and i feel like i can't talk okay like what color is that block does it have a texture does it have a feeling like does it is it warm is it cold and then that way they can explore more tactilely what this kind of block is like and we can explore it more and maybe that will actually help us get to know it and for it to its function to no longer be there because we've now understood that it is here and we can kind of take care of it explore it understand why it's there in a way that just talking about it might not necessarily access And you mentioned that guided imagery and music had an overlap with psychedelic integration work, or was it that it sprung from that kind of work? Or It in part sprung from that kind of work. So um, it was in the 70s in the States, the United States, and they were mapping out the the peaks and the valleys of the LSD trials, right? And then the music therapist came along and matched different text, different music to the peaks and the valleys. Yes. And through that work really saw that music can really work with the subconscious. And so then that's how we came to then using just guided imagery and, or using guided relaxation and meditation because we didn't necessarily just need the psychedelics to access the subconscious. So it yeah. grew from there, but has has gone away from there. But there's also still a connection to the psychedelic research because there's so much music being used in in psychedelic research. And oftentimes they're given yeah. the psychedelic and then they're given music and they're blindfolded. And that is that is their experience. Yeah. But does that also mean that people can come to you with that? wish you know to to integrate their um, psychedelic experiences that they've done beforehand like would you then be equipped to use gim to 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 help them integrate their experiences better into their daily lives yeah i don't see why that that wouldn't work and um in some of my training sessions that i had to do some folks were like yeah i've had all kinds of psychedelic experiences so i'm i'm familiar with kind of like the sense of altered state and for them it was really easy to connect with GIM because they had had some psychedelic experiences so I think in some senses they can kind of go hand in hand and support integration because you're either way you're working with the subconscious in an altered state yeah and for for people who are interested either as you know therapy seekers but also just you know psychologically curious individuals in in exploring gim or just incorporating music into their mental health practices what are specific resources or advice you'd recommend 
yes yeah, so I'm, I'm always happy to provide jam sessions or for for folks who are seeking counseling or therapy for other practitioners to kind of get a sense of what it is and then if you're also curious you can look at the association for music and imagery as well as the european association for music and imagery you can access lots of journal articles and um, other resources like scientific resources through those bodies you can also connect with other find out who in the world is trained in this modality and where in the world they are and can connect with other people that way general for incorporating music into practices if you're a practitioner like i would not encourage you to really no. go down the guided imagery and music path unless you have the training and is there a therapist community in berlin like i, I know worldwide you mentioned these associations and and yeah i'm just wondering about berlin being this mecca of diverse <laughs> therapy approaches whether you have peers who practice gim or Are you the only one that you know of? There are definitely other practitioners in and around Berlin. I'm the only GIM trainee that is openly queer or openly non-binary. There, there for sure are others, but from my perspective, I'm the only one who is openly non-binary and really focusing on on queer communities. Yeah, amazing. So you also see that. A lot of the clients reaching out to you resonate with your background and identity and not just the modality. It's not just EIM that they find intriguing, but like the whole frame of reference that you represent. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, definitely that. And then the, the guided imagery music is just like an extra, like unique thing that I get to do and that, that I love to do. And um, I'm super excited to continue the training and be able to like share more and more with the world and outside of kind of the the music therapy world where people might connect with it more. Yeah. Yeah. Do you play a lot for yourself? Yeah. So I'm a saxophonist I'm by by experience and so I play sax quite often. I'm also involved in like the, the music community in Berlin as as a DJ and stuff like that. So there's so many layers of music in my life that just permeates through everything. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And do you do you do you even play in a band with your sax? No, I I primarily play on my own, but I really like to pair sax with electronic music. Because I think that is just super, super cool. I have some DJ sets out where I've then played live. For me, I love hearing a saxophone come out the big speakers. Yes. Such a cool feeling. <laughs> Thank you for nerding out on this super interesting topic of guided imagery and music. It was really, really intriguing. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed chatting about it. Listening to Sadie talk about their work with guided imagery and music makes me seriously contemplate seeking out a GIM counselor. If you're like me and want to delve deeper into the world of GIM, explore an example of a GIM mandala, learn more about Sadie's practice, or even enjoy their DJ sets, you can find all the relevant links in the episode notes. Until our next conversation. <laughs>